Welcome to the Beef Bits Podcast. I'm Jeff Lemkuler, Extension Professor at the University of Kentucky, and I'll be your host for the Beef Bits Podcast. I'll be joined by colleagues and other guests to share general beef cattle management and production tips. I hope you enjoy the show and be sure to provide us with feedback on whichever platform you might be listening with. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and give us your feedback on what you think about the content that we're sharing. Now let's get on with today's show. Welcome to another episode of the Beef Bits Podcast. Today I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Nick Roy. Nick's the county uh, extension agent in Adair County. Good morning, Nick. How are you? Good morning, Jeff. I'm doing great. Appreciate you having me this morning. Oh, thanks for joining us. It's always good to, to get our agents on and get a little bit of perspective from what do you all have to kind of go through and deal with. And so you you kind of been in your role now, what, 15 plus years? How long have you been the agent in Adair County? Yeah, I started in August of 2007. And so I've been here a full 15 years working on number 16. Man, time sure flies when we're having fun. It sure does, and, and, and we have had a lot of fun. You know, it's, uh, we've talked different times. We've done a lot of county projects together, not only educational programs, but, but some research and field trials and different things, and so uh, enjoyed all 15 years of it. Fantastic. So, Nick, tell us a, a little bit then, you know, in, in your role as kind of the ag agent there in Adair County, kind of what some of your livestock uh, duties are and kind of day-to-day activities on some of those things yeah you know every county agent in kentucky every agriculture agent has a little bit different experience based upon um what's present in their county and so adair county is not the largest but one of the larger uh, beef counties in the state as well as uh, a very active uh, dairy farm county. And so I work a lot with livestock, specifically uh, beef and dairy cattle. And so I get exposed to a lot of things and a lot of the challenges and opportunities that our livestock producers face. And and personally, you've got livestock background as well, um, kind of that not necessarily maybe agronomy side so much, but maybe a combination of both livestock and agronomy. Tell us a little bit about your background. So I grew up on a dairy farm. Um, of course, uh, you know, dairy farm in the nineties was not just a dairy farm. Like any other farm, um, also had tobacco, uh, raised a lot of corn for silage, uh, as tobacco started, uh, uh, going away, started raising more soybeans and, and corn for grain. And so uh, some row crops and, and mainly dairy was what I was around growing up. Uh, when I graduated high school, uh, attended Eastern Kentucky University uh, there. I, I worked on their dairy farm, but also uh, worked on their beef unit and a little bit on the swine unit as well. And so uh, I come into the job, uh, you know, somewhat rounded, uh, dealing with cattle. 
So um, transitioned a little bit in the last few years, right? Probably got a little more beef experience in the last eight years or 10 years or so as you guys have started your own beef herd with your brother, right? Yeah, yeah, that's so. Uh, I- I get to talk about cattle all day, most days, and then uh, uh, enjoy them when I get home. And it's, uh, you know, it's helpful, obviously, uh, like any other cattle farmer, I enjoy working with cattle. Um, but at the same time, it does uh, sort of gets me away from meetings and different things. And so it's it's a little bit of a mental break for me as well. I will say on most days, we all know how, how cattle can be. That's right. Some some days are great and some days are well, let's just not say tragic, but a challenge. Indeed. So, uh, you know, in our discussions a few years ago, it seems like it was just yesterday, but it's probably been a couple years ago. You you had a reached out about a, an idea that you had looking at um, some ear tags, and and I'm just kind of curious as to how this question came to be in kind of your thought process and, and then why you thought this needed to be looked at and addressed. You know, cattle identification is something I think all cattle farmers struggle with. And, and typically the first point in the conversation becomes is, you know, what's, what's an ear tag that will stay in? Of course, ear tags are not the only option for, for, for identification, but they're, they're, they're the most simple um, somewhat easy, most common method of identifying our cattle. And so, you know, the conversation goes, you know, which, which ear tag stays in? And, 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 and that is different for, for every farmer you ask. Uh, there probably tends to be a, a tendency to lean toward one piece ear tags, but some farmers find different ear tags that stay in better. So, so, so everyone can agree, um, you know, what ear tag maybe works best for them. But what I got to notice in uh, out visiting farms is, you know, farmers who were successfully able to keep ear tags uh, in their cattle couldn't read most of them. And so it sort of defeats the purpose of finding an ear tag to stay in uh, if you can't read it. And, um, you know, you get to looking around, everybody uses a lot of different colors of ear tags. And uh, when you ask them, you know, why do you use this color? You know, some common responses as well, because the guy across the road uses a different color. And so we wanted to keep it separate so we'd know at a glance at least who the cow belonged to. Um, sometimes it may be as simple as, well, I like that color or uh, or this or that. Or in, in some cases, it can be a marketing plan, right? Because you've got a feeder cattle market that uses a specific color for those calves going in that program, don't you? Yes, yes. You know, diff- different uh, marketing programs may, may require a different color to sort of sort of brand their cattle. You know, some producers will even um, color uh, use a different color for their female calves uh, and their bull calves just so they can tell at a glance uh, what the sex of that calf is. So, so you went along this line, then shifted maybe toward um, we've got a tag that we know will stay in okay, and um, you know the going with more of the dangle type ear tags that are able to be read from a distance. You know, certainly not looking at a metal tag that you can't read unless you've got them in a shoot or anything like that. But these dangle tags then you've got a tag that you know is going to stay in so what was the next question that you wanted to look at and answer on these tags so what i wanted to do is i wanted to be able to take uh one brand of tag and i ended up choosing the z tag that seems to be used frequently um 
in our area, uh, I did use a, a calf size tag because um, I figured, you know, the, the, the plastics and so forth should be the same regardless of a calf size or a cow size tag. And so just to keep expense down, I went with uh, the calf size tag. I then also uh, purchased multiple colors of tags. And I wanted to, on those tags, ha- have, have replications of different brands of markers on those tags in various colors. But I also wanted to to compare uh, various application methods, whether it be one layer of ink or two layers of ink. As I started uh, talking to to farmers about this project I was putting together, of course, everyone had different options and different ideas of, of, you know, be sure to try this brand of ink or that brand. Uh, I had someone uh, ask me, well, are you going to include a Sharpie marker? in your test. I said, well, I hadn't thought of it, but that's a great idea. So we included the Sharpie marker and then uh, had someone mention um, utilizing some engravable tags uh, as, as, as a test in the study. So we ended up with a handful uh, of different brands of markers in addition to uh, the engravable tags and um the, using a Sharpie marker, which is not intended for use on livestock tags. So that's one thing I guess that we should point out. When you when you go to get tags, you've got options. You've got tags that you could use an engraver on and, and you kind of etch out that top layer and a second color underneath comes through. You've got pre-labeled tags, pre-numbered tags, um, and then you've got blank tags that allows you the opportunity to write down whatever information on that tag that you want. So you were looking at both the engravable tags and then the blank tags that you would write on. You weren't looking at any pre-stamped tags, correct? That is correct. We, we did not look at any pre-stamped tags uh, in this study. I recognize a lot of farmers uh, do use those. Um, many of my farmers that I work with, you know, they want to maintain that cow number uh, identification number through her life or they customize the numbering of their calves maybe as they're they're buying them in you know they you know, the first calf they buy is number one for the year and the last calf they buy may be you know 483 or something and so decided to go with to, to be uh, most applicable to my local producers we just went with the blank tags where that the 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 user would hand write uh, or hand engrave uh, those numbers and and that's probably a lot more flexible you know the challenge when we get pre-stamped tags in my mind just from a general management standpoint is if I've got 34 calves and they come in packs of say 20 or 25 and then I got to go buy two packs and they're pre-stamped and then next year I'm starting maybe on number 36 and then what do I do roll back to number one so uh, and then other herds like to use the alphabet that corresponds to the year the calves are born. And, and so this just gives us a little more flexibility in how we want to number those. But, all right, so let's talk about colors. Um, you mentioned colors, and usually when we think about colors, we think about contrast. And there's some things that contrast more color-wise. Um, but are you, were you looking at tags that would just 
except like black ink markers or were you looking at black and white ink or tell us a little bit about the color schemes that you all were looking at and how you came up with some of those colors and so we, we we attempted to try to test all the colors that were on the market locally as far as tag colors and then put black ink on those um, we also uh, did uh, uh, tr- or attempted to do a comparison on putting some white ink on a, on a black tag and a red tag. And, you know, whenever you start, you know, doing a study, you quickly start learning, you know, what you don't know. And uh, we, we, we did struggle uh, getting uh, the, the black and the red tags to accept the, the white ink. And so was that something we were doing wrong on our end? Is that a common problem? Was it just a bad batch of markers that we received? But it was, uh, we, we felt like to compare how good uh, those tags were accepting that white uh, ink, uh, it wasn't fair to compare that against how those tags were, were accepting the black ink because there was a, a very noticeable difference. Uh, something else that, that we discovered uh, in setting up the study that, that, that really wasn't predicting is is the engravable tags um you know i think you may argue that th- that, that that does take some talent uh to engrave something freehand and uh, i'm not known for my penmanship uh, and handwriting skills by no means <laughs> and um and so i, I did struggle uh, uh making those engravings um but we included the engravings uh, in the comparison uh, but because of some some struggles right out of the gate we had with trying to get uh, some of these tags to accept the, the white ink, we did not uh, end up including those in the final evaluations. All right, so we're dealing now with, with black ink going on to different colored tags. Um, there wouldn't happen to be any instructions on any of that ink or those tags for applying ink to the tags, would there? So what, what, what we got to noticing, um, and so we had these multiple different brands of, of, of markers, and if you read the label um, closely, you know, all of them will recommend that you put two or more layers of ink, allowing them to dry in between coats. Some of those will also mention uh, applying, uh, cleaning the tags with alcohol to remove any type of manufacturing oils or lubricants that and residues that may still be on those tags. And so there was a concern that, you know, maybe that that cleaning may give one uh, brand an unfair advantage over the other. So, so we ended up cleaning all tags uh, with rubbing alcohol prior to application um, of the of the ink and you know and on the farm you think well that that may be irrelevant or, or something we don't do often but you know I, I know how i store my tags and and i imagine a lot of folks are the same way and sometimes we don't get those bags sealed up properly uh as you alluded to earlier sometimes we only use a half a bag and so uh, i think cleaning a tag is whether it's brand new or not may may be relevant uh, in the process of of preparing those tags to to put them in our cattle okay so we cleaned all the tags and um, now tell us a little bit about your treatments that you were looking at did you do um, how many layers or how many applications of ink did you do in the study 
And so we, we put two layers of ink on, on all the tags, except for we purposely only put uh, one layer um, with one particular brand of ink because uh, we wanted to not only compare brands, but in, in one set of tags, we wanted to be able to compare one layer of ink versus two layers of ink within one brand. And so we could possibly determine if, if some of the issues we were seeing in the field were just due to um, not applying two layers of ink to our tags, or does it have something more to do with brands? Okay, so now we're, we clean tags and, and we're putting on uh, two layers of ink for these different company or different brands of ink. How did you go about then evaluating the performance of the ink on the tags? And so we placed uh, all of these tags on a large uh, sheet uh, of white aluminum. We just bolted them straight onto the sheet. Then I placed this on top of a barn with a fairly flat slope with more of a southwesterly exposure. And so these tags were exposed to, to sunlight uh, for the biggest part of the day. And we left these tags there for a year. And so you think about, you know, how is that relevant uh, or how does that apply to a real life uh, scenario where that ear tag would have been in a cow's ear? Obviously, a cow, especially during the summer months, spends a decent amount of time in the shade, whereas our tags in this study were, were in the sunlight all summer long. And so we only left those uh, tags outdoors on that board for a year. Um, we don't know how how long that uh, would would uh, replicate being in a cow's ear, but we know it's it's more than one year in terms of the amount of sunlight exposure. So, you, you put these out for a year and exposed to to sunlight, UV light. What? I'm sure there had to be some differences in products. So, tell us a little bit about what you saw. So, when we removed. Um, uh, the tags from the board, um, we, we looked at just the yellow tags because that was the tags that we had done the, uh, the one layers on uh, in, in a treatment and also had some Sharpie markers on where, where all the other colors were just looking at brands of tags. And so we lined up uh, all of these uh, yellow tags that represented all the manufacturers in the test, including uh, uh, one set of, of just one layer and a set of, of Sharpie uh, with Sharpie markers uh, written on it. Lined them all up, captured a photograph of that. We then shared that photograph uh, with a dozen farmers and 11 of those farmers completed this survey where they looked at each of these different tags, not knowing which brand was what, and they ranked uh, how well these tags could be read based upon a scale of one to five with, with five being excellent and one being terrible. And the results um, were, were very impressive. And so if uh, we looked at the, the Sharpie marker on a scale of one to five, uh, they graded it only a 1.36. Uh, 
And so uh, if you were to look at those tags, you can you can just barely see a, 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 a faint resemblance of what used to be some ink or a number on that tag. The, uh, the, the tags in which we had only put one layer of, of ink on, uh, they rated those tags as a 1.2, so, so slightly worse than what a Sharpie marker was. Would you um, have expected that? I would not have expected that. And so, uh, you know, uh, a tag that's not designed for uh, an ear tag uh, being worse than, than one layer, you know, it makes you wonder, you know, when, when, when tags are failing, is it because um, they're only using one layer of ink or because they're using uh, one layer of, of Sharpie marker? Either way, the results were very bad. Yeah permanent marker being better than the ink. I mean, that ink, when we put it on out of those markers, usually is pretty thick. So that does kind of surprise me that there really wasn't any difference between a Sharpie marker and, and that. Was that was that constant across the brands of ink on one layer? Remind and, me again, was it? Okay, right. And so this is where it gets interesting, Jeff. And so if we then look at all the, the, the brand names of, of, of tag marking ink that we used, all of those brands performed very similar. Um, and so the range was 4.2 to 5 is how the farmers rated the, the ink on those tags, except for one brand. One brand only rated a 2.7 with two layers of ink. And it just so happened that that brand that rated poorly with two layers of ink was also the same brand that we had tested with only just one layer. Oh. And so if you remember back in our discussion, you know, we were wondering, is this a brand issue or is this a layer of ink issue? Based on our study results, we were seeing a little bit of both. We saw a particular brand that was so common in, in, in my area that does not perform well with two layers of ink compared to other brands. And then obviously with only one layer of ink, it performs very, very poor. Mm, that's so, um, maybe we'll, we'll tease that out in the, here in a minute, but, um, all right, so let's go back. So we're at, we're at one point, 1.2 roughly with a single layer across roughly across all the brands. Is that right? Is a 1.2 across one brand. One brand. That's right. Okay. All right. So, and that was the brand that did not perform very well with two, two layers. layers. So let's jump back then with two layers and, and thinking about that two layers. Um, one brand was 2.2. Or one brand had with two layers got a 2.2 and the other ones were over four. Two layers on the brand was 2.7, and the rest were 4.2 or above. Oh, 2.7. Okay. So we're saying significant decline in readability for one of those brands. Correct. And this is just all on the same color. All on the same color. And with that same color, we also, uh, uh, you know, compared the engravable tags. And so... You know, the engravable tags were yellow. When you engrave them, it revealed a, a black layer. And farmers uh, scored those tags just slightly lower 
than the other uh, brands of ink at two layers. And so where all the other brands scored 4.2 or higher, the engravable tag just scored 3.7. And so, you know, I, I go back to earlier some of my penmanship. And to be more specific, you know, when you start engraving that, some of your edges get just a, a little bit raggedly, raggedly. And, you know, even when they're brand new, brand new graving you know with with my engraving skills they still sort of look shaggy looking and so uh you know i don't know if that was the issue if 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 the difficulty they had reading those was was just my fault because of my engraving skills or something else but it's something to consider you know if you're thinking about uh, using engraving tags you know i often have my wife write my uh inkier tags because she can write better than, than i can uh, I would probably need to get someone else to engrave my ear tags for me if I was going to use those. Did you did you write the numbers like on the on the tags with ink and then trace that, or did you just go and freehand it? I did freehand it. I tried to be as consistent as I could, um, and I did. You know, it wasn't just looking at one tag or, or looking at the same number across the same treatment. I had a I had a group of four numbers that I repeated with every treatment. And so pull up the example. Yeah. So that's, that's a good point We're trying to be consistent when we're writing those numbers so that we're, when we're looking at it and evaluating, everybody's looking and evaluating number four, number nine, whatever it might be. Right. So the numbers I chose, you know, I use 549, 368, 308, and 217. And so if you think about some of those numbers, you know, a three and an eight, though, those can be mixed up and confused very easily. Sometimes a seven starts to fade and looks like a one. And so I was trying to you, repeatedly write numbers on these tags that we can often uh, have issues deciphering once they start fading a bit. And, and did you do more than, let's talk about that. Was this just one single tag with one single company's brand of ink or did you replicate have multiple tags repeated so that it just wasn't a single tag i i had replicated treatments and so each color and each brand of ink had four replications and so i uh, uh, uh brand a uh, yellow i had four yellows tags each of those with different numbers written on those nice so a solid, a solid experimental design here. We're not talking just a single tag and evaluating it. It might have been just happen chance. So I'm going to ask a little different question or, or here than um, was. So, so many times a company has a ink marker. Did you notice that was a was a single tag that you selected and did it have an ink marker and did it perform well that maybe there's a there's a reason and a composition in that ink that makes it apply to that tag better than other tags or and so the uh the the, the marker uh, that performed poorly in our study is actually connected to the brand of the tag itself in that study and so the the marker that the brand of the tag would promote to use actually performed very poorly uh, in our study. And, uh, you know, that's a question, you know, early on, you, you may have always heard, you know, 
we get told, you know, whatever brand of tag we use, we need to be using that brand of marker. Uh, based on this study, uh, that wasn't the case. I'm sure different farmers have seen on the market, they are some private company brands of, of, of marker that do not produce ear tags that claim to perform very well and possibly better uh, than other uh, uh, the actual manufacturers of the tags. And based on this limited study, I, I, I sure cannot re- refute those claims. It does appear that some of these other brands on the market that, uh, that may not be in the t- ear tag making business, but they make some really good ear tag markers. Yeah, and that's that's good, and and we won't we won't point those out to promote them per se, and and we'll let you listeners go back and 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 listen to this podcast and figure out which marker did not perform well because you did let us know which tag that you used, and so y'all can decipher that on your own, and we don't have to point fingers at anybody. <laughs> Fair enough. But uh, what what has it done? You know, you had producers come in and evaluate this and then i'm sure you've shared this in one of your county meetings what has it done or, or what have folks kind of taken away from this study that you shared with them you know what i hear frequently now you know it really drives the point home of you know the job of making up ear tags does not occur shoot side that's that's a that's that's a job that needs to be done beforehand you know, as I mentioned earlier, I often get my wife to write those ear tags. And, you know, I, I need to work on that the day before I'm going to work cattle and get all of those prepared in a clean environment where I can keep the tags clean while I'm marking them and also get two coats on them um, and get it well dried before it goes in the cow's ear. Other discussions come to is, you know, really, really thinking about colors. And we, we haven't. Uh, you know, we still can, but we haven't took all those color tags and, and done an evaluation with those quite like what we have with the, with the yellow tags. But there's some pre-existing data that, uh, that really uh, hones in and, and, and tells us what we want to know in terms of how does color affect our readability on these tags. And so there's, there's actually some, some researchers who have developed what they call a, a contrast value and relationship. And what this tells us is that if you were to place, say, black ink on red, it only has a, a, a contrast value and relationship of 38. They consider anything with a contrast value and relationship of 70 or higher to be you know, fairly easy for us to read and for our eyes for our eyes to decipher. So, with a score of, of, of thirty eight, red ink, or excuse me, black ink on a red tag, is not designed to be able to be read very easy. Red tags are popular among some people, but they sure cannot be used very efficiently for animal identification. Yellow, on the other hand, a very popular color. That has a contrast value in relationship, black on yellow, a score of 89, highly visible. Uh, Black on white has a value of 91, very highly visible. The other thing to take into consideration, though, is is white tags show dirt pretty bad, and so they they can those white tags can can sometimes turn more of a brownish color, which only has a value of 43, meaning it's not very legible. Um, some, some other colors that perform, you know, fairly well, orange has a value of 76, uh, pink has a value of 73. 
Uh, a few other tag colors you'll see on the market that, that do not score well. Blue has a value of 47, purple a value of 56. Uh, and so there, there are some colors that are on the market that we probably want to avoid just because the human eye is not good at separating the difference between that color and black ink. That's a really good point, and I can attest to that. When when I was up north, we had some tags, and, and they were white-based tags, and originally they had red ink on them. And the contrast between that red ink on white was not nearly as good as the black ink on the white. And then, like you said, give it some time to fade a little bit, and they were very difficult to, to read, so we switched everything to, to black ink on white tags um, to improve that contrast. I, I think that's good to know, and, and, and if you just were to think about it, if, if you were to take black ink and write it on a green tag and, and then begin walking away at the distance that we might normally be at when we're trying to ID an animal, I think you'll find pretty quickly that it gets harder to read as you get further away compared to, like, black ink on yellow or black on white exactly you know i wish it, you mentioned that you know the, this study proved a lot of things we, we we may have already knew or had a good idea or had a good feel for but it's hard to sometimes quantify those things and you know and so what i have found for this particular study is you know i, I have all these tags on this board and it, it makes a great conversation piece where that you can see everything for yourself and make it up in your own mind you know what works for you because um, you know we we are uh, we all have different uh, vision levels, and so sometimes something works better for one person than the other. But there are going to be consistencies. What you know, what's better is better, and uh, you know what we can read today. My my eyesight, it's it's not better. It's not as good as it was ten years ago. That 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 changes over time. That's a really good point. So um, let's sit back then and let's think about what you learned and 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 what you found out and maybe can you give us some some recommendations that you might share with some of you some producers in regards to thinking about tags both from a let's just say even a short-term application where maybe we're weaning calves in 45 days and we're going to sell them versus maybe a, a you know a replacement heifer that we're going to tag and keep in the herd for some time right and I, and I think you know the first thing that comes to my mind is a feedlot tag a lot of folks purchase feedlot tags because you know they they are more cost efficient at least in the short term we got to keep in mind what are they called they're called a feedlot tag they are designed for short-term use you know if you're only going to be feeding the calf for 60 days and then selling it that feedlot tag is, is likely to stay in and and last as as long as you need it to versus if it's a group of heifers uh, that, uh, that we're going to be retaining. Uh, oftentimes we see, see, just observe those feedlot tags, you know, tear quicker, or sometimes they, they want to fold up or roll up. And so they'll remain in the ear because they lose their, their proper shape. Uh, they cannot be read. And so, you know, using the appropriate tag is, is first and foremost important in its use. Uh, then think about, you know, as I've mentioned earlier, you know, using the clean tag, uh, using adequate layers of ink and uh and also tag placement you know we talk about losing uh, ear tags and, and those trouble and a lot of that goes back to to ear placement and, and getting right in the center of the ear uh and some of that tougher cartilage uh so that tag has uh, has some good structure around it and be less likely uh to be tore out or fall out uh, but also to be able to uh, keep it closer to to the, to the head 
into the ear itself so it's less likely to get hung on something yeah those are all great points and i you know the other thing is that i see a lot of times is you know sometimes we run short on tags or or something and we grab another bag and somebody picked them up and they were different than what we had been using so making sure we've got the right applicator for those particularly when we're doing button type tags to make sure we're using the right applicator and but that button gets pushed all the way through and, and gets seated because you'd be surprised at the number of tags I've seen fall out simply because they didn't get pushed all the way through and they got seated incorrectly and then the male part just falls right out. Yep, it's discouraging. Defeats a purpose, but it's easy to do. You know, we see a lot of versatility uh, in some of these tag applicators. Uh, sometimes we can go across brands, but in some scenarios, one important difference is the length of that pin in that applicator and you can oftentimes change out those pins but if you use too short of a pin with a particular tag then you get into the problem you just described we just do not get that button closed up completely yep yep all right nick this has been fantastic and um I think it's been enlightening to just think about that there can be differences in what we can visualize color-wise and that there certainly can be differences in ink brands that are out there and, and how they will hang on to those tags and be visible in the long term. Any, uh, any other last uh, kind of recommendations that you might have for folks when they're thinking about ink on these ear tags and going about application-wise? don't think i do jeff you can wrap her up awesome nick we appreciate you sharing what you learned on this study it's really kind of one of the only ones that i know that's really looked at all these different uh kind of brands of inks and and tags and readability so we appreciate you doing that and i think it's fantastic that you took a question that you get routinely from producers and you went about and, and answered it so we appreciate you doing that Sounds good. Appreciate all the work you do to, do to help us out as county agents, Jeff. Thanks, Nick. Well, this has been uh, Nick Roy, the Adair County Extension agent, and uh, we appreciate him being on with us on the Beef Bits podcast this week. Thank you for listening to this session of the Beef Bits podcast. I hope you found today's episode informative and that it added to your knowledge of beef cattle management. Be sure to subscribe to be notified when the next episode is released. And if you haven't listened to the previous sessions, be sure to go check them out. For more information on beef cattle management tips, stop in and see your local county extension agent. If you have questions, you can also send them to us and we'll be happy to reply as soon as we can. Take care and we look forward to seeing you in the future.